Welcome to episode 174 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on November 6th, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. This week's episode is just slammed with stuff because I wasn't able to do an episode last week from internet issues and that sort of thing. So let's just jump right into your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. A first in the show this week is, of course, the Linux kernel because 5.15 has been released and there's a lot of new features in this, as there always is. But arguably the most important feature to come from 5.15 kernel is the new NTFS file system driver, which is named MTFS3. Prior to this release, anyone who used NTF file systems had to depend on the NTFS 3G driver, which was a user space driver, which meant it kind of, while it was more reliable than the other solutions, it was a little bit slow and sometimes had its own issues, even in the reliability space. But this is actually much better because we have a new uh, version of NTFS 3, which is made by the Paragon Software Company. And what's great about it, because it being built into the kernel, means it's got a lot more uh, low-level support, and it can handle uh, things much faster and more reliably, which is great. So it's got much improved rewrite support, uh, NTFS journal replaying, ACL support, uh, support for normal, compressed, and sparse files, and much more. So this is fantastic news for people who have to use NTFS. Now, if you're just a Linux-only person, you don't have to worry about NTFS, but if you have any kind of Windows install or you're in like a network and you have to do uh, cross-support for different files, NTFS is still kind of the go-to for that. So this is fantastic that we have support. Uh, we've, had, we've had support for a long time, but having support in a much cleaner, more reliably, faster experience is going to be great for everyone who needs it. Also, the latest Linux kernel includes a new in-kernel SMB file service. Now, the goal of the KSMBD is not to replace Samba, but to provide a lightweight and fast module that is compatible with like user space tools and libraries. And this new in-kernel uh, module is capable of, of much faster SMB3 file serving and supports more features such as RDMA support uh, for SMB Direct. Uh, and it's also uh, just basically makes it cleaner for certain things, but still Samba is going to be used for people who need extra features that are not supported in this new uh, kernel module. Now, there's also been a lot of improvements for hardware. More specifically, I wanted to talk about the improvements for the Apple M1 support, thanks to uh, Asahi Linux with the IO MMU driver being merged, as well as USB and PCIe support being added. This is great for people who uh, are, are who already have an M1 laptop and that kind of thing. But it's more important that we have support for Linux to you know going forward on Apple hardware because they are going to be adopting the M1 on everything. Uh, they've already established that, or they're you know the the newer versions iterations of that and not having support in that hardware ecosystem would be a problem for the adoption of linux so it's great that that work is being done and putting into the kernel now there's another thing i want to talk about is the new amd van gogh apu audio driver this is going this seems like a very specific thing that <laughs> to, to list off but the reason why it's exciting is because this will benefit heavily the up upcoming steam deck 
and anything that helps makes the gaming experience on the Steam Deck better for the people who are you know getting started with Linux through the Steam Deck is going to be fantastic. So I am excited for that. There's also a lot more in this. I'll have links to the mailing list to post as well as the Kernel Newbies breakdown. I'll have the links to those in the show notes below if you'd like to learn more. After a slight delay due to dealing with blocker bugs, Fedora Linux 35 has been released. And I mention the blocker bugs because some people like to call Fedora Linux a bleeding edge distro, but it's it's not. And if it were, they wouldn't be worrying about bugs blocking the release. So this shows that Fedora releases when it, you know, when it's ready to be released, and I think that is a good policy. Now, if there's like a 5-month delay, that would be problematic, but that's not what this was. It was like a two week, I think. And Fedora Linux is updated much faster than other distros. So that's what the confusion is about thinking that it's bleeding edge because it's not, it is faster, but it's but just because something is faster than Christmas or in the case of LTS distros, two Christmases, it doesn't make it bleeding edge. So I think that it's worth noting that because it's a good policy that they have these kinds of blocker bug structures, but also at the same time, they are still going to be updating much faster than people expect it to when it comes to like LTS or static releases. And uh, there's in the latest release of Fedora Linux 35, there has been the update to GNOME 41 in Workstation. GNOME 41 improves the efficiency of the default Wayland session, the reliability of the touchpad gestures. There's also improvements for the GL renderer for GTK4 apps, as well as many other things such as the power modes being added. Now, technically, Power Modes was already in GNOME 40 and was also already in Fedora Workstation 34, but you had to install the Power Profiles daemon. Now with Fedora 30, Workstation 35, it includes the Power Profiles daemon by default and also has improvements to the Power Modes in general. So you can choose between the Balanced uh, Power Saver or Performance Mode. Balanced, of course, is just the standard Power Mode. Then Power Saver is for if you have a laptop and you're using battery, it will, one, you can choose to use it if you want to, but also if your battery becomes low, will automatically switch to the power saver, which is great. In the performance mode, it boosts the computer's performance, but also will use more energy. So it will use more battery, make it drain faster, or if you're using uh, a connector, it will just use more power from your system. So that's how it, that's that's the options, and that's great that you have these options by default, and you don't have to install anything special to get them. You can also uh, check out the other updates for GNOME 41 in episode uh, one, uh, 169 of Twill. And you can check that out. There's stuff related to the revamped software app. There's also a new application for the connections for RDP stuff. Lots of cool stuff in there. If you want to check it out, uh, GNOME 41 on Twill 169. Now, another thing about Fedora Linux 35 is that there's a new addition to Fedora Linux, and it is the Fedora Kinoite version. Now, this version is similar to Fedora Silverblue, and it uses the OS tree, and it uses flat packs, and it's like uh, a read-only immutable system. Now, it's not read-only completely, but the file system itself is, and this is a really cool idea because I'm excited to try it out because I think Silverblue is really cool, but the only thing that I don't personally like about Silverblue is that it's GNOME, and that's not to say that GNOME is bad or anything. It's to say that I prefer Plasma, and Fedora Kinoite is the silver blue for plasma so you get the same value of silver blue but you get kde plasma instead of gnome which for me sounds awesome so i definitely will be trying that 
Also in this latest release of Fedora 35, they have the NVIDIA's proprietary driver is now included to support the enhancements for Wayland. Now, we'll talk about this more later on in the show, but this is definitely very important. Now, not all distros are, distros are going to have support for it uh, because it's the very latest NVIDIA thing. That's why some people kind of construed Fedora being a, a bleeding edge because they do get updates quicker than others, but it's not. So that's why I mentioned it earlier. Anyway, we'll get to more details about NVIDIA later on. The other thing I want to talk about is third-party repositories can now be enabled in, uh, after installation very easily just with a checkbox. Now, this is related to FlatHub specifically, but it might be more in the future. And this is great because it makes it easier to get started with using Flatpaks because previously you'd have to activate the remote hub for FlatHub, and now you can just click a checkbox and you're done, or a toggle button, whatever. And this that's fantastic. And the more ease of use to getting started with that, I would love to see RPM Fusion with just a checkbox or a toggle button. That would be awesome. But, uh, you know, just a request out to the Fedora team or, you know, whatever. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is the update to Pipewire. Now, Pipewire, for those who are not familiar, is the unified audio video server that first appeared in Fedora 34. Now, it continues to mature and get improvements and overall, like, for example, it's got improved Bluetooth handling, support for pass-through of SPDIF signals over optical and HDMI connections, as well as several bug fixes and that sort of stuff. But the thing that I want to talk about it is that there's a new media session controller called WirePlumber. So Pipewire Media Session is being replaced by WirePlumber. Now this is a more advanced uh, session manager with support for plugins and scripting with Lua, which is what's really cool about it. You can do all sorts of stuff with WirePlumber. But the first thing you'll notice when this change, when you update to 34 or update from 34 to 35, uh, you'll notice nothing. And that's another cool thing about it because the the compatibility previously with the other the other media session stuff and as well as the uh, the compatibility with Pulse Audio is just streamlined and it's seamless, which is a fantastic thing because sometimes you'll see updates with core pieces and have some issues you have to deal with, and when you don't have to do that, that is fantastic news. So it's kind of like great in that you don't know it's new. But also, you don't see that it's new, so you don't you can't like dig in or whatever. But that's why you're watching this show, and that's why I make this show to tell you about these things. Now, the history of Wire Plumber is also interesting because it started with automotive grade Linux project, and there's a and there's a more specific feature that you can do with it that it's related to that that I want to talk about. So, uh, to quote the developer from Collabora, George uh, Kia Gadakis. Uh, maybe I, uh, I don't know. Hopefully, I said that correct or close enough. So he says that Wire Plumber was initially developed for use in autom automotive grade Linux, where the problem that needed solving was mostly problem of arbitrary uh, arbitrating between different audio streams. For example, an, an application playing some music in your car at the same time there is a GPS navigation application trying to assist you with directions. When the navigation app needs to speak to you, it needs to be clearly audible, so the music has to go in the background either by lowering its volume or by pausing it momentarily. Or, for example, when you receive a phone call, the music would definitely have to pause at that point. Now, this is a great piece of software because this is a great example of issues that you couldn't do things at the same time uh, with Pulse Audio. Now, in Pipewire, it 
theoretically could do it, but it would be kind of a little bit more effort. And Wire Plumber is to make that process much cleaner to do, which I am so excited about this new uh, session manager for it. Now, not because I'm going to be scripting myself, probably not, but just to see like how much Pipewire and, and Wire Plumber is coming together to make audio on Linux so much better because we, we've always had Jack for a long time. And we've had Pulse Audio for a long time, and both of them had their, uh, you know, their use cases, and they both provided solutions for people who needed them. But to have them all in one project that you can just, whether you need casual audio controls or you need pro level audio controls or you need something like this for car infotainment systems or whatever, to having it all in one, it's just super exciting to me, and I can't wait to play with it. So I will maybe do a live upgrade sort of at some point today. Who knows? Uh, I will be upgrading today. I'm not sure I'm going to do it live or not because, well, the stream might crash when I do the update. Not because of anything wrong with Fedora, but, you know, you got to reboot the system when you do that. So I may or may not figure, figure out some way to do it. We'll see. Also, a really quick, uh, there's going to be a Fedora Linux 35 release party coming up next week. So if you want to check that out, I'll have links in the show notes for that, as well as just in general for more information about uh, Fedora 35 or Fedora Kino White or, you know, the Pipewire, Wire Plumber stuff. I'll have links to all of this in the show notes below. Up next in the show, let's talk about RHEL 9.0 Beta. This is Red Hat Enterprise Linux, for those who don't know what RHEL stands for. Now, there's a lot of improvements for this, and of course this happens when, you know, this is a big update. It's not available just yet, that's why it's beta, but there, I just wanted to talk about it because, one, it's it's RHEL, and there's a lot of cool stuff in here, so there you go. Now, and also RHEL and Red Hat and the CentOS saga and all that sort of stuff has been in the, the news a lot lately. For the past year, I've been talking about it frequently because there's just so much interesting stuff happening with the whole enterprise Linux space. We might be talking about that more later on the show too, but I want to first start off talking about RHEL 9.0 beta because there's a lot of interesting stuff done with cockpit. So this is for like automation and management of deploying uh, virtual machines, containers, and just systems in general with the uh, web console. So you have improved uh, performance metrics. So you can access additional information which will allow you to better identify the potential cause of performance bottlenecks if you are having those. Then it's also streamlined image building, which is really interesting because you basically you can do like uh, image building improvements for rail nine uh, beta. There's also ability to build rail eight and rail nine images in general in a single build node, which is really cool. Now, for those who are not familiar with what I'm referring to, the streamlined image builder is similar to SUSE studio style image builds where you can do point and click GUI builds of your own infrastructure of like how you want the specific image for your deployment through cockpit, which is just awesome. One of my favorite things about SUSE for a long time was SUSE Studio, and it's a shame they got rid of it. Uh, just a quick tip, bring it back. But another thing that's great about Cockpit's latest update is that they have introduced a kernel live patching. Now, this is very important. You can now leverage the power and ease of use of the Cockpit web console to easily apply live kernel updates. This is uh, very, very important for especially with enterprise because they don't really want to reboot their systems if they don't have to. So having that option 
is definitely something that they're you know people are going to enjoy having that option. They've also added smart card authentication inside of Cockpit, which is really cool. And also, there's a lot of other things that I want to talk about. But first, let's talk about the security profiles that they added. So they made it possible to uh, achieve better compliance with various standards. So for PCI-DSS uh, or HIPAA compliance or others, and this is a very important thing that uh, if you need to do some kind of compliance and using an enterprise-level distribution, you probably do. So, well, not necessarily because of the whole new if you want to use RHEL, you get 16 free licenses just because. So that isn't necessarily true anymore. But historically, <laughs> it was typically true. People would need to have, you know, care about that sort of that factor. Uh, but I'm setting up my own RHEL uh, build because I can and because they let you now, which is fantastic. But that's not important to the discussion. I just wanted to say that for some reason. Now let's talk about the fact that they have integrated OpenSSL 3. So they are applying the latest security standards with the new OpenSSL uh, 3 cryptographic frameworks built into RHEL utilities. They have been uh, recompiled to utilize the OpenSSL 3 to provide organizations with new security ciphers for encrypting and protecting their data. And it's also, if you want to learn more about the OpenSSL 3 and what the differences are and the changes, I did talk about that previously on Twill. So if you want to check out episode 167 of This Week in Linux, you can learn more about that. There's also been a lot of other updates like the UBI images, the Podman, GCC, and so much more. If you want to learn more about uh, the latest version of rail 9.0 beta or maybe even test it for yourself and give some feedback to what you know if you have any issues or any input you can check out links in the show notes below this episode of this week in linux is brought to you by digital ocean now is the perfect time to dive into the digital ocean with their new app platform service it helps you build modern and cloud native apps for way less money with the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than you ever could before with their simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform to your GitHub or your GitLab repository, and it will do all the heavy lifting for you. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, all of these are supported by the app platform, and you simply just point your GitHub or your GitLab repository to the app platform, and then it will basically handle everything, which is awesome. And by running the app platform on their own infrastructure, they're keeping the costs significantly lower than with other products. Plus, it's also built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, which provides a smoother migration path for if you already have Kubernetes deployed, be able to control your infrastructure setup much more easier. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free on the app platform. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving a 100 free credit when you go to do.co slash dln again go to do.co slash dln to get started with a 100 free credit on digitalocean's new app platform service and we want to thank digitalocean for sponsoring this episode of this week in linux up next in the show we have the latest release of lxcute which is 1.0 now this is a big milestone release now it's not that much different there are a lot of improvements to overall, like some extra features and stuff like that. But the LXQt desktop environment has been usable for 
quite a while now and many releases, uh, but this is the first 1.0, which I am happy about. So you'll see in some places they're talking about like this is an eight-year development to get to this point, uh, but it has been usable for a while. I'm just I just wanted to make that clear. So when you when you, people see that 1.0, they sometimes think of like, oh, it's the first version I can use. It's been usable for a while, so don't worry about that if you want to try out LXQt. Now, uh, LXQt, for those who don't know, is the LXQt or the LXDE successor, which is written in Qt instead of GTK, and it's the combination of the LXDE teams and the Razor Qt teams uh, merging together to make LXQt. Now, this happened eight years ago, so uh, for those who don't know it, Razor Qt, uh, that's understandable because they did merge into a new project many years ago. But that's the history of where, where it came from. So you'll see LXDE still existing. However, it's pretty much in like maintenance mode, if that, because pretty much everyone moved over to the Qt-based version. Now, LXQt 1.0 is packed with stuff to talk about. So we're going to cover everything, but we're going to cover uh, some highlights. So for example, there's two new LXQt themes to try out. There's a new Do Not Disturb mode for desktop notifications, which is very important in every DE, in uh, everything that has desktop notifications should have a Do Not Disturb mode. Because uh, speaking of which, I should probably turn on my Do Not Disturb mode on my particular setup. Okay, now that's on. <laughs> so uh, there's also a new LXQt panel plugin called Custom Command. Now this lets you run a custom command directly from your desktop panel, which is awesome. Uh, and also there's a new ability to save and load Qt uh, palettes and LXQt appearance configuration, which is nice if you wanna do customizations for your the design and coloring of the experience. Uh, they've also made some updates to the file manager, which is pcmanfm-qt. That's a lot to say. Also received a bunch of goodies, such as the ability to handle uh, emblems, a recursive customization of folders, uh, a new option to make desktop items sticky by default, uh, new options for the LXQt file dialog, and much more. Plus, on top of that, there's also improvements to their image viewer, the LXQt archiver, Q-terminal, or is it Q-terminal? I'm not, it's probably Q-terminal. But I kind of want it to be Q-terminal. Anyway... And of course, also there's some bug fixes and that sort of stuff. Now, obviously this latest release of LXQ 1.0 just happened this week. So depending on your distro, it is very likely that you do not have available to use it yet. Though it may be in testing for some distributions if you want to try it out. Now, with that said, I'm very happy to see LXQt finally releasing a 1.0. The last time I talked about it, I kind of requested them to do a 1.0 because it just made people think that it wasn't ready to use and it has been for quite a while. So that's why I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted them to switch and change it to a 1.0 because it just lets people know that it is ready to use because you know, the zero point, whatever is typically used for development. And I'm not saying that the reason they did it is because I mentioned it in the show, but I kind of want to pretend it was. So let's go with that. If you'd like to learn more about LXQt 1.0, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about NVIDIA because the latest drivers for NVIDIA have been released as stable. We talked about them previously when they were in the beta phase, but now they are available for stable release. So NVIDIA 495.44 has been released as a stable, and this is most notably introducing GBM support or generic buffer manager. And now the reason this is important is because it very much improves the support for the proprietary drivers from NVIDIA on Wayland. And now this 
is very important because Waylon is becoming a, a it's becoming more and more used by various distributions, various users, which is great because the the more that Waylon is used, the better support it will have and that's, you know, the catch 22 related to that kind of thing. But this implements the GBM backend driver that can be used with uh, the Mesa drivers uh, as well. So you have support for, you know, you don't have to worry about the EGL streams that NVIDIA was trying to do, which created a problem with Wayland. So if you were to use NVIDIA on some distributions, it would force you go back to X, even if you wanted to try Wayland because it wouldn't work because of the whole thing that NVIDIA used to do. Now, with this new support for GBM, you can actually use Wayland, provided your distribution has implemented the new drivers. So some of them will already have support, some of them will not. It just depends on your distribution. So there you go. Now, another thing that's also been added is an easy-to-use indicator for resizable bar support, as well as fixes for potential Xorg server crashes for those who do want to continue to use Xorg. And various Vulkan extensions have been added, as well as a variety of other improvements in, as well. Now, another thing I want to talk about NVIDIA is a weird topic, but I think it's interesting because it, it needs to be noti notified in case someone who's in the market for getting an NVIDIA GPU. EVGA's product manager, uh, Jacob Freeman, confirmed in an official forum post that on October 29th of this year, a shipment of EGVA GeForce RTX 30 series graphics cards were stolen from a shipment truck. So I'm mentioning this not because it's like, oh, the whole sh the supply chain fiasco is you know doom and gloom kind of thing, but it's more to say that if you are in the market for a GPU... Be careful where you get that, because if you get one of these, EVGA says that they are aware of which cards were stolen, because they have it re referenced by serial numbers. So if you do get one, you can't register it, you can't get a warranty or any of that stuff. So just make sure you're aware of that if you are in the market. If you'd like to learn more about NVIDIA's latest driver, 495.44, we also talked about it in more details in a previous episode. I'll have that linked down in the show notes below, as well as a link for the latest release of the NVIDIA drivers. Up next on the show, we're going to talk about KDE Connect. And I've covered KDE Connect on this show many times, and almost every time I receive comments looking for support for iPhone users. Every single time I have to say, sorry, but there's nothing to tell you yet. Well, that ends today because KDE Connect is now coming to the iPhone, starting with iOS 15. So this is currently still in beta, and I think it's the test pilot mode. I think that's what they call it where if you want to try it out, you can, but it's in the beta phase. And if you want to do so, be sure to report any bugs you have so they can improve it for the official release. But this is fantastic. So if you're not familiar with KD Connect, I'm going to give you a brief like synopsis summary of what it does. So it allows you to connect your phone to your desktop or your laptop and be able to do a ton of cool features. For example, if you want to share files like uh, music or photos or whatever, you can do that back and forth for the phone. You just basically say, uh, you go to your phone and say, share menu, send to KDE Connect, and it will just send that file over your Wi-Fi to your computer, and it's just super smooth. I use it all the time. Also, another thing that I use all the time is notifications. So if you get a notification on your phone, you can have it automatically display on your desktop will make it way easier to be able to, to not miss any kind of critical message or that sort of stuff, uh, provided that you haven't turned on Do Not Disturb like I did earlier in the show. But <laughs> there's also uh, customizable commands that you can do. So you can 
make ch- you can create a list of commands that you want to do from your phone and you will be able to launch scripts or run programs or whatever on your computer which is just another fantastic feature of it and it also has the ability to control your media player on your desktop from your phone or you can do like a you know find your phone kind of thing or making you click a button on your desktop and make your phone ring if you if you misplaced it and that sort of stuff but also many many more you can even mount the file system of your phone onto your computer and use your desktop or laptop's file manager to uh, navigate and browse the phone's file system, which is fantastic, and I have used that many, many times. There's a lot of other great features that KD Connect works with, and if you've never used KD Connect, I highly suggest you do. Now, also, another thing that's worth noting is that KD Connect is not required to be used in KDE Plasma. Now, a lot of people see the term KDE and associate stuff that's KDE, insert thing, meaning it's only for Plasma, but that's not the, that's not accurate because KDE is the community that creates it, and sometimes they just name stuff KDE blah because they're the people who made it. And this is the case of KDE Connect. It will run on any DE. So if you want to put it on Cinnamon or GNOME or whatever, you can do so with KDE Connect. And once you do, you're not going to want to go back because KDE Connect is awesome. And I have it installed on everything that I use regardless because it's awesome. If you'd like to learn more about this or check out the uh, beta edition and the test pilot for the iOS or iPhone uh, implementation, I have links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides a ton of different tools to be able to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords for you automatically, and even also automatically fill in passwords for you on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, it gives you access to your data across many different types of devices, whether it's a web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, or even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. And this piece is super important because the local encryption means that you know you're the only one who has access unless you want to give a password to someone for whatever reason. And that is fantastic. Because if you go to bitwarden.com slash DLN, you can get started with this awesome piece of software. And you can get started for free. Did I mention that? You can get started for free. But I also think you want to check out their premium account because they have a lot of great features. And it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month will get you one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, Bitwarden Send. So much great stuff. And... You can get, like I said, you can get started for less than a dollar per month, but you can also get started with a friends and family account or get started with business organizational vaults and that sort of stuff. So you can more easily share passwords back and forth. So if you want to help a friend or family member get started with a password manager, Bitwarden makes it super easy to do that with the family accounts. So you can create your account, you can help them create their account, and you can be able to share and set up stuff for them. It's just super nice to have these things. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. So make the smart move like many from the community have and get started with Bitwarden. And thanks again for Bitwarden sponsoring This Week in Linux. 
Up next in the show, Microsoft has announced Edge for Linux has a stable release that is available for anyone who would like to use it. And I know, I know people, you're, why am I covering this? But keep an open mind. Let me explain why this is newsworthy. So up next in the show, Valve, we got Valve news. <laughs> up next in the show, we have some Valve news. A lot of it, so we're going to cover quite a few. So bear with me. If you're not a gamer person, I think this is still interesting. And if you are a gamer person, it is absolutely interesting. So about nine years ago today, when I say about, I mean exactly. Nine years ago today, November 6th, uh, Valve released the first beta of the Linux client with Steam. So this is a historic action because prior to that, gaming on Linux was, well, let's just say limited, I guess. In fact, I remember when Pharonix wrote about the client coming to Linux, people did not believe it. They considered it so unlikely that they just thought it was a joke and like a, you know, in bad taste joke and that sort of stuff. But it, it was true, as you can, well, as you know. <laughs> So in just nine years, so much has changed with the upcoming Steam Deck. We're going to get even more people using Linux on ga and gaming on Linux, and we're going to have so much more potential for the availability of the Linux platform. And I can't wait to get my Steam Deck, and I can't wait to see what the future of Linux gaming is because with this is just a period of nine years going from almost no gaming to a massive company releasing a product specifically for Linux gaming with Valve doing it. Now, you know, Valve did all of those things for the most part, but whatever. Uh, high five to Valve. Pretty much every time I talk about it, well done, Valve. Uh, <laughs> but also, the Linux market share is growing on Steam. Now, it's not growing like super fast, but it is steadily growing. We're now at 1.13% market share. This is notable because this is over a million people, but also uh, it's notable because it's it's been over 1% uh, for f four months or so, and it's only going to get even more with the Steam Deck coming out, and I am very excited about this. Now, next up, we're going to talk about the Steam Beta, because Valve added support for VA API hardware encoding on Linux with, the, with uh, support for AMD and Intel. And this is fantastic, because VA API is for making it better performance for the different GPUs, and making it having it built into Steam Beta is just going to be even more uh, higher performance for your various games and that sort of stuff. So more FPS, which means... Uh, better gameplay automatically. That's how it works, I think, right? Uh, recently, we also talked about uh, anti-cheat software for Linux. Uh, we talked about this on a couple occasions, and I'm really happy to let you know about something, you know, specifically to BattleEye. So we had announcements for both Easy Anti-Cheat and BattleEye in regards to Linux support. Uh, EAC, or e Easy Anti-Cheat, kind of explained that the developers would have to upgrade to a new SDK, which is not something that's quick and easy to do. It requires them to do more extra testing and, and that kind of thing. But Valve has announced that, uh, in conjunction with BattleEye, that the experience for developers for using BattleEye Anti-Cheat is a way easier to support Linux. Pretty much all they have to do is reach out to BattleEye and have the Proton support turned on. So there's no additional work required on the developer side. All they have to do is send them an email and tell them they want it turned on, and that's it. Now, it'd be really cool if it was just automatically turned on, sure. But the fact that it's just an email, the barrier to entry is very, very low. 
And there's still going to have to be some testing, I assume, but just the process of not having to change any code or having to change their SDK or whatever, that's fantastic news. Uh, So if you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we've covered here for Valve, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is another topic for gaming that this is a very interesting topic that I wanted to discuss because this is actually in some ways an example of how to uh, pitch to game developers why supporting Linux is important for them to do. Because a lot of the times they would always say something about how uh, market share is not big enough, so they don't have reason to care and that sort of thing. And this is a great example of why market share is not always the only thing they should look at. So uh, an indie dev found that Linux users generate more and better bug reports. So they're basically saying that Linux gamers are the are most helpful to developers. And for example, this, this developer of a game called Rings of Saturn, which is a uh, sci-fi top-down physics-based space mining simulator, uh, said that on average, Linux players will get you 650% more bug reports. Now, And some people might see that going, oh, no, that's a lot of more bug reports, but it gets better. So they so in only five point eight percent of the of the players uh, were playing on Linux and they generated over thirty eight percent of the bug reports, not because the Linux platform was buggier than the other platforms. but It was only three of these four hundred bugs that were reported were actually related to Linux specific issues just three, which means that all of those other bugs that reported were helping every other platform who are playing this game. So the developer of Rings of Saturn says that the report quality is stellar, specifically saying you get all of the software OS versions, all the logs, you get core dumps, you get uh, replication steps. He says, sometimes I got with the player over Discord and we quickly iterated a few versions with progressive fixes to isolate the problem. You just don't get that kind of engagement from anyone else. So is developing your game for Linux worth doing it? Some devs say that market share is too small, so they don't. But if you look at it this way, the Linux market share is a helpful QA testing set. So basically, that is an enormous value in itself. You get QA testers. Codera Software, the developers behind Rings of Saturn, says it's like having your own 700-person strong QA team. That was not 38% extra work for me. That was just free QA. That is a fantastic perspective, and that's why I wanted to highlight on the highlight on the show because you can give this as an example for if you talk to a developer, whether it's an application or it's a game or whatever, there is that factor of Linux. So yes, it might not be the biggest market share, but you're anytime you support Linux, you're also going to get a group of people who want to help you make your product better, and that is in itself way more valuable, I think. So if you'd like to read uh, read more about this, like check out the Reddit post from the developer yourself, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about some hardware. We have a new product from the Tuxedo Computers. It is the Nano Pro. This is a very compact yet powerful machine. So the base configuration for this is the is AMD Ryzen 3 4300U and AMD Radeon graphics. And this is, uh, it starts off at, uh, 640 euros, and this also comes with four gigabytes of uh, DDR4 RAM, 250 gigabytes Samsung uh, 860 Evo SSD, Wi-Fi 6, 
and it also comes with Tuxedo OS 20.04 LTS. Now, you can have it upgraded to uh, AMD Ryzen 5 uh, 4500U or AMD Ryzen 7 4800U. You can get up to 64 gigs of RAM, and you can also get uh, up to support for two, a 2 terabyte M.2 SSD. It has uh, a lot of ports for such a small device. It has a lot of ports. It has HDMI, DisplayPort. It has two uh, USB-C, which also has support for DisplayPort. It has two Ethernet jacks. One is a one gigabyte Ethernet, and the other one's a 2.5 gigabyte Ethernet. Now, this is interesting because a lot of the times you'll see these kind of compact things only have one, if any, of the Ethernet ports. So it's interesting it has two. It also has a USB-A, which is the more standard USB. It's got two... Um, 3.2 or it's got one 3.2 gen and it's got uh, two 2.0 gen uh, USBs and they say on their uh, website for the announcement for the product it says whether a, as a media station for the living room an extremely space saving work PC or digital signage solution for companies the Tuxedo Nano Pro is versatile and starting with an entry level price of 640 euros I think it might be a little bit overkill for digital signage solution just saying you can get a Raspberry Pi for like 45 bucks for digital signage. But the other stuff, sure, that'd be cool. <laughs> so if you want a very powerful PC that's very compact, then that, that makes sense. But if you want a digital signage solution, uh, maybe a Raspberry Pi instead. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about this latest uh, product from Tuxedo Computers, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we have some Hummel bundles to talk about. I'm going to have a link to all of the current bundles. There's a lot of stuff. So just I wanted to highlight two of them because these are really cool. And the rest are also good, too. If you're interested in any of these things, I'll have them linked in the show notes. But first of all, I want to talk about the Sonic the Hedgehog bundle because it's if you want to try Sonic Mania or Team Sonic Racing or Sonic Lost World or Sonic Adventure 2 or Sonic Adventure DX and uh, Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing or any of these, they're all available inside of this bundle. And this is something that I am so excited about because these are all supported. Well, there's two that are not supported great in Proton, but the rest of them are. So I am very excited to get this bundle myself because as a, a person who grew up with Sonic and Sega... I am kind of, um, I'm pretty excited to try out these games because I've been wanting to play a few of them, but they were only Windows related and they, they didn't work on Proton that well. But now they do. So awesome. Also, the other thing I want to talk about is the Asper uh, 25th Anniversary Bundle. You can get uh, Sid Meier Civilization Beyond Earth Collection, uh, Borderlands The Handsome Collection, and Bioshock Infinite plus the Bioshock Infinite Season Pass. Now, I have uh, I have Bioshock Infinite, but I haven't played it, but I've heard really good things about it, so I do want to play that soon. I might do it on a stream or something like that, but I have played uh, Borderlands, uh, both the Borderlands 2 and pre-sequel, and I have to say that if you have never played Borderlands 2 and you're interested in a fun, while very crude and violent game, it's a first-person shooter that's it's very unique, and what it, but it's really cool. Uh, Borderlands 2 has one of the best villains of all time, I think that's a very strong statement to st to say, but I would put it in at least in my top five best villains ever because it's just fantastic. Where you you hate the villain because he's rude, but he's also funny, so you like him at the same time. So I don't know, it's weird, but I think that Handsome Jack is awesome and in many ways. So if you're curious about what I'm talking about and you want to get it out, you'll get a link in the show notes. 
for this particular bundle, and you can get Borderlands 2 and pre-sequel in this bundle. And also, real quick, these links will be affiliate links, so if you are wanting to get any of these any of the bundles in there, please use those links because a small percentage will go towards this show as a, like a tiny commission, that kind of thing. So I would very much appreciate that if you do want to get any of these bundles to use those links. So links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out every week after the show, as well as in the beginning of the show because we're doing a patron-only pre-show now, as well as a patron-only post-show. So if you want to be be a part of that, go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And you can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing right now by going to dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff. There's there's hats, uh, hoodies, mugs, stickers, aprons, backpacks, so much cool stuff. Uh, I'm actually going to be checking out my own uh, order today because I wanted to get the DLN, uh, the Destination Linux podcast water bottle because, uh, you know, having just a basic bottle of water is not very effective because, um, as you can tell, I'm pretty much out now. So I need to get my uh, my own Destination Linux water bottle very soon. So go to dlnstore.com if you want to get one for yourself. If you like some more check, more podcasting goodness from me and the rest of Destination Linux, while you're at the store, you can check out the other stuff at destinationlinux.network, such as the Destination Linux podcast, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, DLN Extend, Pseudo Show, and much more. Check it out by going to destinationlinux.network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1800 UTC, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dlnlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.